Welcome to the Better Questions podcast. Today, we're really excited because we've got a person who is a good friend of all three of us, Joe Miller, uh, who all of us have had the opportunity to do ministry with at one point or another. Um, Joe will introduce himself more in the podcast, but he's wrapping up a PhD in Old Testament studies. And so today, we wanted to take some time to address the question with him, do Christians need the Old Testament? That's right, yeah, and there has been some recent controversy around this question uh, with some of the things Andy Stanley has said recently, and uh, we definitely dive into that, um, and so if you're interested in that, we definitely do address it. And you might be looking at that hour and a half or whatever huge number uh, you see at the bottom of your podcast feed. I just want to tell you, you know, just suck it up because it's awesome. Extend your drive a little further or, you know, get comfortable at your house where you're watching it on YouTube. The two of you that watch our YouTube videos, because uh, it's definitely worth it. Hey, I do want to say two things. <laughs> one, we have over 100 views on a few of the videos. Hey, our one with Carolyn is over 160 and our one with Dr. Chris Keith is in the 150s. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. But the other thing is, if we decide to break this into two parts, I'm going to leave that in so Andrew still sounds like an idiot. <laughs> so what do you mean? It says 25 minutes right here. So this here is our pages. conversation with Joe Miller. Well, today we're excited to have our good friend Joe Miller on the podcast with us. Joe, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, would you mind, before we get started in the conversation, just taking a quick second to let our listeners know a little bit about who you are, uh, your work, and maybe talk a bit about why you got interested in Old Testament studies? Yeah, thanks. Um, uh, well, I am a husband uh, of a wonderful wife of a little over seven years. We celebrated our anniversary just a couple weeks ago, and I'm the father of two boys, hence the dark circles under my eyes. Uh, I am a um, current PhD candidate at Fuller Theological Seminary in the area of Old Testament, and uh, I'm working on a dissertation about the characterization of God in the book of Exodus. And uh, before I began a PhD program, I was a discipleship pastor uh, for about eight years, which is where I found friendships with some of you guys. Wait, some? Was that, about, <laughs> was that a reference to me? Which is the one that's not included? I'll let you decide who, who, who belongs to that group. I feel secure in our friendship, Joe. <laughs> that's great. And so uh, I see um, scholarship as a subset of ministry, for at least for me personally. Uh, and uh, that kind of works not only into what I'm doing at Fuller, but I've also... Um, uh, doing some adjunct part-time teaching both at Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee, and at uh, Duke University's Divinity School in, uh, in Durham, North Carolina. So uh, I'm glad for those opportunities and, and the kind of the motivation to get to places where I can teach people about the Old Testament stemmed from all the way back in my childhood when I just uh, loved stories and loved narratives 
and uh, the Old Testament has a lot of crazy stories. And so I always found them really intriguing. And that interest just continued to grow uh, as I uh, went to study the Bible in undergrad and had some really great Bible professors who um, saw uh, that interest and fed into it. And, uh, and um, I think that there's a lot to glean from the Old Testament. And as I've learned personally, I uh, love to then turn around and hopefully be able to share what I've found with others and, and uh, encourage them as well. So, so in our um, in our podcast, one of the formats that we do when it's a better questions podcast it, is we take a question that we hear a lot of Christians asking and we want to start to look at it and see how have different people answered that question, maybe what are some things at stake for people in the way that they've answered it, ways that maybe the question might be misguided, if at all, and work toward better questions. And so the question we really wanted to focus on with you today, Joe, is this question, do Christians need the Old Testament? And I think where that question has really come from from us is there's been a lot of controversy and discussion here recently with some things said by Andy Stanley, particularly the phrase that's really gone viral when he said that Christians should unhitch their faith from the Old Testament. Peter, James, Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures. And my friends, we must as well. And I'll tell you why. It's actually the same reason they did because we must not make it difficult for those Gentiles who are turning to God. Uh, I, I'm just curious to start off by asking how you would even respond to a statement like that. Well, first I would say, speaking specifically to, uh, in response to the specific Andy Stanley um, stuff, I am aware of it. Uh, I need to be fair to him and say that I haven't watched the sermon or read the entire book uh, to where some of that, those critiques uh, uh, stem from. Um, but from what my impression is, is that there is a there is a value and conviction there that I think, uh, in one sense, I, I recognize as laudable is uh, recognizing that there are are issues that are. Um, presenting stumbling blocks uh, between people and a conversation of faith uh, when it comes to the person of Jesus and the you know and what what that looks like, what it looks like to be a Christian in today's age, and there is there is um, there's that difficulty of of how do we engage with the New Testament and the Old Testament and some of the things that are said in the New Testament seem to indicate that. The Old Testament isn't as valuable anymore. And so um, I think uh, what Andy Stanley and others throughout church history have, have tried to attempt at some points is to say that with Jesus, something new happened. And, uh, and so that's, that's really where, where we begin and we derive our identity from. And we want to emphasize that and hone in on that. And we don't want to let anything else really detract from that. Uh, and so I think, you know, in some senses, okay, I can... I can understand where he's coming from. 
The problem is that I would, and, and this is, is what I would kind of uh, say more generally, is that when you look at how Jesus defines himself in the scriptures and how every New Testament writer defines faith and what relationship with God looks like, they all go back to the Old Testament uh, as part of the authority that they, um, that they cite as support for their own arguments as illustrations and images and, and language for defining what they're talking about. And so if we, if we you know, to use that word, unhitch uh, ourselves from the, New, the Old Testament or, or even the New Testament from the Old Testament, we've, it's kind of like walking in to the Lord of the Rings uh, halfway through the third movie. Uh, it, it, you know, if you, you have no idea what's going on, why are these two really short guys climbing a mountain? Uh, what's all of these big elephants doing in the middle of this field fighting a bunch of horses? You know, like it, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and so I think there is a better way to go about it that on the one hand acknowledges the difficulties that, that sometimes um that people in our context face when when trying to reconcile everything that they find in the bible with uh with christian faith uh but without just throwing you know ripping off two-thirds of the bible and tossing it in the trash i think there's a better way to go about that yeah i think for me again i also like you have not read the book or, or heard the sermons uh that any stanley preached but when i first heard about this uh, I did, it was in another like sermon that I saw of his where he said something similar. And it seemed to me like more what he's trying to say is like, um, if we are going to put our faith in Christ to find salvation through what he did on the cross, then we don't quote unquote need the Old Testament version side of the story to gain salvation or even to, you know, evangelize though it's still useful and helpful to know that kind of like filling in the gaps later. Um, and so like for me, I quibble over, I think this is a bad question because of that word need. And so I just wonder like if you can expound maybe even further on how, how do we use the Old Testament now um, if you would agree we maybe don't quote unquote need it to become a Christian and find salvation. Yeah, I think that's that's good, and that's a good point. You know, it's uh, it's similar to any of those kinds of like minimalizing, uh, you know, um, tightening type questions. Uh, can I survive on bread and water? Well, I I suppose I guess technically you could. I mean, whether that's that's a really worthwhile, uh, exciting way to live, you know, that's another question. Uh, but I guess technically, yes, you know, and, uh, you know, can I, can I live without any sort of long-term relationship or permanent, uh, shelter or support system? Again, I guess technically, yes. But again, are we talking about surviving here or thriving? Mm. Uh, and I think, uh, that, that those sorts of questions set up unnecessary lines in the sand or, or, or uh, distinctions that don't need to necessarily be made. I think where I uh, struggle in trying to 
respond to this question is one of the words that has gotten used a lot specifically in the context with Andy Stanley is the word faith. So like he has said, Christians should unhitch the Old Testament from their faith. Or another quote I wrote down is he said that the Old Testament shouldn't be the go-to source regarding our behavior in the church. And so I, I think where some of this question comes from, do the Christian, do Christians need the Old Testament it is maybe not even that they would say, well, it has no use whatsoever. Uh, I think a lot of them would agree with you in your, like your Lord of the Rings example. It does help us understand how we got to this point. But saying that is way different than saying it is authoritative. It is inspired. When I go to the Old Testament, like God expects me to do the things that it says um, it has things in there that I need to listen to and implement in my life in order to receive salvation. I feel like those are very different types of questions than just, is it helpful when it comes to understanding Jesus? And so how, how would you respond to that? And also how, you know, kind of understanding that dilemma, what would you say the Old Testament does or doesn't have to offer to the faith and salvation and authoritative conversation. I think there's a couple different uh, topics or questions that you're you rolled into there. So make sure that I'm tracking with you and, and answering everything that you're looking for here. Um, well, I'll keep you in check, Joe. Don't you? I appreciate worry. that. Yeah, I've always been able to count on you for that. <laughs> Let me start off by saying or asking you a, kind of a follow a, a follow up question, uh, and that is. Uh, do you follow every New Testament command or think every New Testament command is literally authoritative in the practice of your contemporary church experience? Well, I have both of my eyes, Joe, so. <laughs> I make every every female in my family wear a head covering to church every Sunday. Exactly, right, yeah. Uh, we have to recognize that even though the Old Testament might seem more so, that, that that both the Old Testament and the New Testament are writings that are that were written in a context different than our own, and so all of them, and reading and interpreting and living in accordance to, and even render you know seeing them as authoritative in our lives, for all of those texts are, is going to involve some level of uh, of purposeful interpretation using um, certain presuppositions or methodologies or understandings about what that takes, to, what it takes to bridge uh, from that context and that under in that you know uh, uh, arena, whether BC or 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 first century AD uh, to our own 20, 20 centuries later, uh, and so. You can't just say, well, because the Old Testament is different and strange, it's not valuable anymore. But the New Testament, that's where we can go, and, and that's, that's different. Well, it is kind of different, but it's also, they're also both different from us. And so at what point is, is it all of a sudden okay? Is it okay once the Greeks come in and start 
you know, turning, uh, you know, adding Hellenistic, you know, uh, philosophy and, and worldview into the mix so that all of a sudden it, things seem a little bit closer to where we are today. So if, if we acknowledge that, that both Testaments require some sort of uh, interpretive bridge or interpretive journey to, to appropriate and apply to our, our lives, I think that opens us up to, to better, again, some better questions or some better uh, opportunities to, to interact with the text on the grounds of, okay, what does it look like then simply to, to engage with a text that I, that I have to work with in order to make it immediately applicable? Uh, and I think that, that, uh, helps get you in the right direction, whether you're translating or, you know, or, or dealing with something from Paul or you're dealing from something uh, in Proverbs or, or Psalms or, or what have you. If, if, we, if we did just rip out the Old Testament, you know, I guess the, the question is, well, isn't, don't we get a, a, a better version of, of God's teaching in the New Testament or isn't what we find in the New Testament encapsulate everything and, you know, that we would get a value in the Old Testament, et cetera, et cetera. I could easily flip that question and say that um, almost everything in the New Testament, teaching-wise, any any uh, instruction, any principle that you find in the New Testament, including what's taught by Jesus, is either um, can be immediately found also in the Old Testament, or at least uh, uh, introduced or or um, uh, anticipated by the Old Testament. And so to say that there's this radical difference in teaching, I, I think is, is uh, making, a you know, making a distinction that's not really there. I mean, can you guys name me a, a instruction in the New Testament that you couldn't find in the Old Testament or at least something similar? No, I, I can't. I mean, in fact, where my head goes is what Jesus often said is, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And it's like, well, where have they heard it said? I know later tonight, I'm, I'm going to be like just about to fall asleep. And then something's going to pop in my head. I'm going to be like, why did I say that? Dan, you bring up the, the Sermon on the Mount. And I think that's a, 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 a place people go to first or often to, in making this distinction. Exactly what you said. You've heard it said, but I say to you, uh, you know, do not, do not murder, but do not be angry. Or do not, you know, hate. And right, both of those, right. both of those instructions are found in the Old Testament. Do not lust instead of do not commit adultery. Like the tenth commandment is, do not covet your neighbor's wife. I mean, that's that is that instruction. You know, not to get too lost in the weeds, but I feel like because I've had you push back on that very topic, either to me or like someone in a Facebook comment section, and I thought it was interesting. But I think where the confusion happens is why so many people jump to the Sermon on the Mount to be like, see, Jesus is like changing the Old Testament. The more I think about it, I think it's because the Old Testament a lot of the times is in continuity with a lot of those teachings. I think where the confusion happens is sometimes the actions of people in the Old Testament look very, very different from the commands of Jesus. And so people go, well, there's a lot of, tribalism and like i don't know if racism is the right word but like hostility towards israel's neighbors and murder and adultery and so people associate all those actions with the old testament and forget that 
right next to him is the command to be like, no, you're the light to the nations and you are to be this way. So I think that's where a lot of the confusion happens is there's all these actions in the Old Testament that go against Jesus' teaching and you think, oh, Jesus was like, well, let me set the record straight here. Well, another piece of that too is I, I think now that I'm thinking more about it, like you often hear people talk about how Jesus will at times almost reimagine the Old Testament text. Well, like like the time when he takes the scroll and he reads from Isaiah. Oh, that's and a he's, good point. He's like po- then saying, well, that's pointing to me basically. And like some point out then he that that's him. He cuts off the quote early. He does. And it's almost like he's doing what, you know, I've kind of heard is also a practice of of how Jewish people interpret scripture is that they are more willing to take liberties or to interpret things and say like, um, oh, this is a new reimagining of our old interpretation of this because this has now been fulfilled among you or among us. In what way uh, is Hosea 6.1, which says, out of Egypt I called my son, uh, pointing to Jesus, right? You know, like Matthew says that. I had that question waiting, Joe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's undeniable that, that, that there is, uh, in light of Jesus, uh, new ways of, in, of interpretation that's happening in the New Testament community, that... that that after his death and resurrection, they are looking back on the new t- on the Old Testament texts in a way that they had never thought about them before. Uh, I think the difference. What I would say, however, is that that does not eradicate or or um, or wash over the or paint over. I guess you could say the meaning that was there previously. Mm. That's cool. um, uh, the kind of the official term is the census plenier, like this this additional uh, meaning or this fuller meaning uh, that this even kind of spiritual meaning uh, that that doesn't um, mitigate a, the literal or, or original meaning or intention of the text, but it shows how there was something. Um, providentially contained within the kernel of that text that that then blossomed once Jesus uh, came on the scene. Uh, and so I don't think that, again, and I'll, I'll kind of take this back to those specific instances that, you know, that like the, the one you mentioned, uh, Isaiah, and, you know, I, I even I mentioned it in um, Hosea. I don't think that by using those things in, in a relationship to Jesus uh, that either, any of these authors are saying, that this is the only way that you can read these uh, texts, and all the, of the other ways were bad. Um, and, and, and specifically, you know, dealing with what you said, talking about Jewish interpretation. Jewish interpretation, not just pre- pre- previously, you know, not uh, leading up to Jesus, but even in the, the centuries after Jesus would continue this way, that where these discussions and kind of uh, debates and wrestle, kind of wrestling through these texts uh, were, were held together and, and kind of uh, and, and placed in a line with one another where, you know, this rabbi says this and this rabbi says this and this rabbi says this. And, and in many cases, uh, there's not an, you know, a, a conclusion at the end of, 
this topic that says, well, obviously this one of those is right. Uh, it, it's it's simply allowing these interpretations to exist on different levels of meaning um, because of of the different contexts in which those meanings or those uh, interpretations are found. And I think that's an important point for us to kind of consider. Um, uh, there's a, a good way of thinking about this uh, by Pete Enns in his book, um, uh, oh, why am I blanking on it? Um, inspiration, what is it? Incarnation. Inspiration. In, yeah, Incarnation Inspiration. Yeah. Um, where he says it's, uh, he, he kind of takes a distinction between a Christological interpretation of the Old Testament and a Christotelic interpretation of the Old Testament, where um, it, it leads to Christ, um, but it's not only about Christ. Yeah, that's uh, and a, good. Or, or another way of saying it is that is that we have to read the Old Testament and the New Testament bi bidirectionally. We read it forward and backward, and we can't only read it in one of those directions, um, which I think is is a a fault of 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 a lot of just regular Christians is that their understanding of the Old Testament is almost always only through the lens of the New Testament reading backwards. Right. Uh, and, and, and that's, I think, honestly, where a lot of this, uh, these issues of kind of just unhitching it kind of come from, is that the only experience of interacting with the Old Testament comes through the Old, New Testament anyway. So why do we need the Old Testament if, we're, if, we're, if it's only, if always just coming by way of the New Testament? If I may, before we, you know, maybe continue, because this might be even taking things slightly off topic but i think it's still related i just wanted to drill down on that a little more because i'm super interested in your thoughts on this but um do you think that that we would as christians uh gain something that we're missing if we did view even the new testament scriptures in a similar way that the jewish people view the old testament scriptures uh, then and how they interpreted and how they discussed and how they even participated in midrash, and then a, a secondary follow-up is like, do you think we'd also gain something if we also participated in some of the meals um, and like rituals that are in the Old Testament? Like if we celebrated Passover or Hanukkah, like is there something that we can gain as Christians by? participating even with the New Testament in, a, in the same way that the Jewish people used to with the Old Testament. Yeah. One quick quibble. The Hanukkah is not actually in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, it is, I guess, oh, in... that's true. Yeah. Maccabees, yeah. <laughs> Maccabees. There's a great episode of Rugrats where they go over the story of the Maccabees and Hanukkah. I just wanted to throw that out there for all the 90s kids watching. This is That's that's another episode you guys need to do is, is uh, cultural... Uh, appropriation of these and, and <laughs> cartoons, you know. Prince of Egypt. There you go. Um, I feel like most Christians today are like, there's one right interpretation and we just have to find it. And once we do, we then have to argue and defend it, you know, instead of like, I feel like there's something beautiful about that idea of, you know, holding multiple interpretations simultaneously and just kind of living in the tension. Oh, yeah. The problem, I think, with trying to find the one meaning of the text is that uh, no one ever has. Uh, right. 
you know, and, and there's a certain level of hubris uh, in saying that we are going to achieve what, what no group community person so far in the history of encounter with God has been able to do. Uh, and I, so I think rather than trying to, uh, to affirm and find, and that's not to say that, that, that we cannot, we shouldn't, um, hold, you know, truthfully and faithfully and, 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 uh, strongly to what we believe about, about scripture and faith and all that kind of stuff. But there's a certain level of humility that we all need to possess in our own understanding, knowing that we are limited by space, time, uh, you know, in, in every way to the form. And all of us are trying to engage with a being who is beyond time, beyond space, beyond gender, beyond ethnicity, beyond uh, socioeconomic status, is, is beyond all of these things. And so uh, I think it's just, it's, it's um, troubling if, if a, a one person in one situation, one set of circumstances can, can say that they've figured out God and what God is intending uh, in all of his infiniteness uh, for all time, this is it. Uh, and so if, if meaning is, is continually provided by these texts, um, I have different questions than what a Jew in the in first century Palestine had, and I have different questions than what a, you know, just, you know, keep moving, you know, on and on and on. And I think you get that even more in the Old Testament. Uh, right. is is that you see a plurality of voices coming from a variety of perspectives um, and all of them have something to say about their about God's encounter with them um, and and if we silence some of those voices uh, we are silencing voices that could be the very ones that that certain people in different contexts than our own need to hear in order to encounter God for themselves. Uh, and I think that's, that's a disturbing thought. Uh, Joe, before we transition over into talking about maybe hammering down a little bit more what do we use the Old Testament for? What role does it play in the church or in our preaching? What are better questions we can ask? I do want to spend a little more time kind of breaking down some of the different reasons why I think Christians are asking this question. Do we need the Old Testament? And we can't address that question without talking about our friend Paul uh, or maybe maybe more accurately, our friends who preach Paul. And the reason I say that is because I have heard so many sermons out of the letters of Paul specifically that basically say something along these lines. The Jews tried to follow the law to earn their salvation, and they thought that that would make them good enough. But now after Jesus, like, we don't have to do that anymore. We don't follow the law. The law doesn't save us, uh, a.k.a. like the law is bad 
is kind of the subliminal message there. And so I guess I'm wondering, one, is that even an accurate view of what the New Testament writers are actually saying about the law? Uh, And maybe what are better ways to talk about how the New Testament views the law? For a long time, uh, it was pretty well agreed upon that that is what Paul had in mind. And it was thought that the Jews specifically thought that the law was the means by which they could attain salvation. For the last uh, several decades now, but but latter half of last century, uh, that that view began to be challenged. Um, and uh, understanding that that for the Jews, at least of the first century, the law was not something that was a means of attaining salvation, but it was um, uh, it was a response to being in a covenant relationship already with God. Uh, it was it was the means by which they demonstrate their identity. Uh, I think that is a important distinction to make because. It's not all that different than what we have in the New Covenant arrangement with with Christ uh, and the New Testament writers. The difference, I think, was is that the New Testament or the New Covenant that we is is, is that there wasn't a uh, there wasn't Jesus. I mean, that is that's the big distinction here between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We identify ourselves, and we identify ourselves through Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that. Um, the law was in and of itself horrible. Uh, I think what you have is is Paul trying to argue against people who are, um, as people who are supposed to be identifying with Jesus as their new means of identity, still trying to to go back and say that the same thing applies. You know that, that it's almost like. Uh, uh, the law still almost trumps Jesus, or or the law still uh, has something to add to Jesus. So the preaching that you're seeing isn't altogether wrong to say that the authority that we have to live out the life and the faith that we have is is not found in, at Sinai. It's found on Calvary. Um, if we if we choose to follow you know God through Christ. Um. You kind of touched on this earlier in the discussion when you're ta- when you asked us like what things in the New Testament do we not obey? And I had you as an Acts professor, in fact, and I wanted to talk about Acts 15 briefly because I think that's a really interesting passage and that's actually one of the key passages Andy Stanley cites in his reasoning for unhitching however he terms it. And I wanted to know today, what sort of liberty do we have as Christians to interpret and interact with the law or commands in the Bible? Because Acts 15 seems to set a precedent of the body coming together to dialogue and discern how certain commands or teachings apply today. And in light of like you referencing certain commands in the New Testament that may or may not be obeyed. I just want to know from your perspective, how can Christians go about exercising discernment and um, deciding how to live out commands that do seem outdated 
or troublesome like the situation in Acts 15? I think what you're seeing in Acts 15 is a recognition by the New Testament church that, again, the stipulations of the Old Testament, uh, Old Covenant, uh, initiated at, through Sinai, um, uh, etc., was um, was intended um, primarily for the nation of Israel. And I think what they recognize is that uh, what Jesus did is not for one specific people or location, but for um, but for every people and tribe and tongue and language. Uh, and so there is a need to um, go back and wrestle through uh, how, exactly the question that you're asking, Andrew, is... is what of our tradition is um, constrained to a specific context uh, or or time uh, and and people, uh, and if if a certain law instruction teaching was given to a certain group of people, uh, how does that how does that universalize? Does it universalize? Uh, and I think what they recognize is that in a lot of the specific cases. Uh, it 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 universalizes only very abstractly, uh, and there needs to be that that again that interpretive bridge. Even the the quote unquote laws of the Old Testament were, uh, in a lot of ways, I think more uh, often understood as a ethical symbol than a what what we understand when we think of legal. And you know, like you know, when we open a legal code of uh, you know of the you know. Uh, of a state or the federal, you know, laws, uh, we understand that that this has to be broken, and then we have to go to court. And we have to do all these, th- you know. And and for them, I think, uh, you know, for instance, let me use one example. Uh, there's a certain number of um, offenses in Deuteronomy uh, that uh, that in Deuteronomy, if you if you commit one of these offenses. Um, Moses says the penalty is is death in some way or form or fashion. Let's let's say, for instance, uh, uh, committing adultery. Right? Uh, we have no record in the Bible or otherwise of an adulteress being stoned. Um, so what does that tell us? Well, it might just be an argument from silence, sure. But I think um, what it also might be uh, insinuating is that maybe the issue wasn't. Maybe that the, you weren't, you know, it wasn't supposed to be reading this and say, oh, death penalty. Yeah, let's take it down, you know, like, let's, let's do it right away. Maybe it was a way, another way, another genre uh, of, of um, crystallizing what type of, of ethical principles and values were most important to the fabric of being for this community. Uh, family and fidelity are important to God. Um, and critically important of, of almost uh, utmost importance by by that uh, standard of, of the judgment given there. And so that there's a lot of things that might be at first blush just way off from the way we think about things in the Old Testament. Uh, and I think what's important is to maybe try to drill down underneath uh, and and try to seek out what is being communicated 
through those things uh, about about what God thinks is important, uh, and and see what way that maybe we can uh, identify a, a contemporary parallel in our own experience. So I I recently read a story um, about how John Calvin worked with the laws in Deuteronomy about charging interest on loans because there's um there's there's a command against that in Deuteronomy and so like the church was just refusing to participate in that and John Calvin kind of looked at it and was like well but the context we live in now is completely different to where charging interest on loans can actually be a mutually beneficial relationship. And he said, the spirit of this text is really about oppression of the poor. And so it's not so much uh, at all times in all places, God condemns charging interest on loans. It's that we shouldn't oppress the poor and we can we can still value that in our current context. Is that similar to what you're advocating with what you said? I think maybe the the only uh, caveat that I'll place on m- myself and maybe uh, what you've kind of brought out is that um, there is a great value, I think, in the fact that the Old Testament a lot of the time is so drastically different in how it thinks about ethical concerns or matters than maybe what we tend to gravitate towards immediately in our own um, consideration. Uh, and, and the knee jerk, I think, because of that difference, that distance between us and, and the thinkers of the Old Testament, uh, is to immediately side with our own value systems uh, and and try to think about ways of fitting the Old Testament into our current context. I think that it is equally important and valuable for us to allow the uh, Old Testament to open our eyes to maybe blind spots in our own thinking. And this is you know the case of when you in it when you encounter any difference in perspective, right? Is that not all you know? Uh, in doing so, if you if you come into it with an open mind and an open heart, uh, you can see that maybe you've been missing something all along. Now that being said, I mean the the jubilee year, you know, you 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 see that in the Old Testament things like that. That's another thing that we don't have any record of them actually doing. <laughs> it's like this great yeah. ideal that we have uh, recorded in the Old Testament, but they never got around to it. You know, it's like life is life. You know, oh well. Uh, life goes on and, and you just kind of uh, forget about some of those things. So do we just forget about it and, and not worry about it? Or do we say, even though they were in a context where they weren't necessarily able to live this out either, that doesn't mean that they didn't stop thinking about it. And they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't, uh, that didn't stop them from writing uh, some form of what they wanted to achieve and a place they wanted to get to uh, in, in terms of these values, where every, you know, 49 or 50 years, they just say, everything's good. We're just, we're just, everybody's free, all things canceled, uh, everybody's in the green. Uh, and yeah, to, to try to live that out in our own society might 
like cause a great depression, you know, because of the way that we've structured it. And so maybe it wouldn't be beneficial to just try to institute it legalistically. But that I think that certainly is something um, a value that we need to look at. Uh, and that's not just because I'm talking from the perspective of somebody who has some student debt, right? Uh, they would be great if every seven years it was just like debt's canceled, right? You know, don't have to worry about them anymore. No. Heck yeah. <laughs> well, I just want to point it out that Chris wrote in our Google Doc, Andrew, you you get the que- you get the next couple questions. I asked one, and then Chris was like, "Hold on." I wanted a follow up. I wanted a follow up on Joe's answer I, before we moved on to the next thing. I also had a follow up to that. Anyway, go ahead, Andrew. Ask it. You asked my follow up for me. Oh, sorry. But I guess to maybe organize this a bit, um, I know this could be its own podcast episode, uh, but I think for a lot of people today the reason they feel distant from the Old Testament and uh, are uncomfortable with it is the more morally reprehensible parts of it. And I know we've talked to you about this before, but I would just love to know how you yourself uh, or how you would recommend reconciling maybe parts of the Old Testament that from our perspective in our culture today come across as very um uh try not to think of pejorative terms but come across as like antiquated and outdated and backwards and so whether that be violence or just maybe some of the ways they thought about other people in society like women or foreigners how can we as christians have a healthier understanding of those passages and not end up throwing all of the Old Testament out because of it. And before you answer that, if I could add, because I know Andrew means this as well, so much of that also, I think, distances from the Old Testament because a lot of it gets associated with God, like God commands for those things to happen in a lot of the Old Testament. Which is where you get all the Marcion stuff and... Is it a different God or whatnot? The first couple of things that come to mind don't really redeem the Old Testament as much as uh, put the New Testament in equally hot water, right. I guess you could say. If again, if you're if you're operating with these these kinds of terms or or uh, approaches, there are equally troublesome quote unquote aspects of God in the New Testament. The God in the Old Testament never sends anybody to hell. It just doesn't happen. Uh, uh, and yet in Matthew, you have uh, Jesus saying, do not be afraid of the person who can kill the body, but be afraid of the one who can destroy the body and the soul forever, right? Uh, you have the God of Revelation, uh, Jesus, coming to earth with swords shooting out of his mouth like laser beams, uh, going off on entire groups of, of people who are standing against him. Uh, and so there isn't, there isn't that sharp of a distinction between, quote-unquote, the wrathful, vengeful God of the Old Testament and, quote-unquote, the loving, peaceful Jesus uh, is a friend of mine of the New Testament. I'm not saying that I'm okay with a God that just likes to blow up 
cities and stuff like that. Like, I, I mean, I, I think it troubles me to read these passages too. Let me put that out there before I say what I'm about to say. Let me get fired from things. Uh, but again, on the other hand, um, we are approaching the scriptural texts, which have been written over a long gamut of, of contexts and, and circumstances, with our own moral value system in place. And we need to understand that that moral system does not, did not uh, rise up in a vacuum. We also are creatures of our own context and our own, um, our own circumstances. And so the reason that we, we find certain things troubling and other things that we are okay with uh, is partly because of, I think, God's image in us and, and, and that sense of conscience and morality, but it's also because of the, 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 the ocean in which we swim. Uh, and so uh, I, I think it's important for us when we come across texts that we find morally challenging or, or going against what we, f- we think is morally right. We need to at least be willing to pose the question, uh, is the text wrong here or, or, or the text's depiction or understanding of God or, or humanity? Or is there even this remotest possibility that I might be out of alignment? Um, and again, I'm not trying to just like say that carte blanche, we should just accept everything because, because the writers of the old and new Testament were also human beings who lived in context with their own value systems. And that applies to them as well. I'm just saying that, that we're all in this together and, and we need to be willing to engage in this mess, um, uh, without affording either place an automatic position of, of uh, of authority and uh, and rightness. Neither one of our cultural contexts is normative, uh, and I think that's important right. to remember. And I think what I would add is, as I agree with a lot of you had to say, is I think the reason this question always keeps popping up and won't go away is because I think sometimes how we answer the question or how a lot of church leaders unfortunately answer the question is to almost be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you can't, you can't like raise those concerns because like you can't question God like that. But most of the old Testament is just people like questioning God. <laughs> and I find that very necessary and very healthy. And yet we're not even, we're not even allowed to question the book that primarily questions God, which is a bit weird. And so I think for me, it's, we need to be able to express like this, like you said, like it does bother me and we should be able to do that. And I think if we allow people to express that, we'll we'll lead them to a more healthy way of processing the stuff that we in our culture find morally reprehensible instead of just being like, well, you know, like just, don't question God, like, whoa, like, don't go there. Yeah. There's a certain providence, perhaps, to this, that 
that the first example of of expressed theodicy in the Old Testament in the Bible that we come across, uh, and what I mean by that is a wrestling over, is this is this right for God to act this way essentially, uh, is invited by God to take place, and that is in Genesis 18, God comes to Abraham, and says. Shall I reveal to Abraham what I am about to do? Sure. This is what I'm going to do. What do you think? And the response is, you know, shall not the judge of the earth do right? You know, like the, and and then you see this bartering, you know, of of well, you know, what about this? Can you spare it if this is if, the, if there's this many righteous people? If there's this many righteous, you know, please don't be angry, but can we work that number down further? Um, it, but I think that's that's interesting to me that that the that the first time that kind of interaction occurs, it's promoted and initiated by God. It, it almost uh, senses it almost reads to me like God is this is something that God wants to take place uh, and encourages to take place for us to. Uh, be in this kind of dialogue with him. And I think you're absolutely right that you find way more of this kind of uh, back and forth in the Old Testament than you do in the New Testament. Uh, I mean, uh, I think it's really unfortunate that because Christians don't have maybe as much uh, interaction with or at least willingness to see the Old Testament as... uh, providing something of worth or of equal worth is what they find in the New Testament. Anytime a lot of Christians face some sort of suffering, uh, they think their only valid, acceptable uh, course of action is to say, not my will, but yours be done. And I'm not saying that that's bad. I mean, Jesus prayed that after all, right? Um, But the Psalms, for instance, provide us in a number of of cases of people saying, not thy will be done, but God, thy will is not being done uh, because they know God's will. They understand what God wants to take place and they don't see it happening. And so that is cause for them to speak out and say, God, thy will is not being done. So please do it. Do thy will in this situation. Parentheses, what the heck, man? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and and it's a shame that people don't uh, have feel the liberty to be able to continue in that in that mode of expression with God. But that's that is a canonized, sacred, valid form of expression. Uh, I think it's 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 very, very sad. We've uh, been talking for quite a while, and it's been awesome. But maybe just to help uh, put our pieces of brain matter back into our skulls after all of the mind explosiveness that's just gone on, uh, maybe a good way to wrap up is to just uh, ask you, um, what is a better way to either ask this question or a better framework in which to talk about the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
for you, like what are better ways to approach this question? One of the ways that I've been maybe thinking about this um, is instead of trying to pose whether a certain part of the Bible is necessary or problematic or, or distinct or how it's different from other parts, I, I think uh, what might be helpful, at least is helpful for me, is whenever I'm approaching any text, whether that's a specific passage or, or a book or the Old Testament or whatever, is to, to try to ask, what does this text show me about God? Or what is it, uh, what could it teach me about God? I don't know what you guys think. I mean, another thing I've gleaned just from our conversation is you keep kind of coming back to this idea of instead of focusing on do we need the Old Testament or how are they different, but like kind of asking how are they the same or in what ways do they overlap? In what ways are they working in tandem? And though I you were quoting, I think, Pete Enns, I liked um, the difference between saying, hey, instead of how does this Old Testament passage like actually all along talk about Jesus, but instead, like, how does this lead to Jesus, I think is really helpful. Yeah, and for me, I know whenever we're addressing better questions, we're always looking for the questions, too, that lead us to action, which is part of what I think is so bad about this question in general or any yes or no question, is that no matter what your answer is, there, it doesn't mean anything. It always requires a so then what question and you mentioned some of this already with your answer which i really wanted to ask you how much of that answer was influenced by william webb's work but we didn't have time to get into that but you did talk a little bit about considering when we're reading a text in the old testament like understanding the the culture in which that was written and how how much maybe what is being said goes against the normalized culture at that time. And I think asking questions along that vein as well really push us toward action when we recognize maybe how, like how countercultural of an aspect is this in the Old Testament and what would it mean for us to carry the spirit of that text in an equally as countercultural way today. Yeah. Yeah. And to recognize that is not always trending in the right direction, you know, like, you know, sometimes, uh, neither, neither text obviously reaches the ideal of abolishing slavery that we would hope we would hope for. Um, but the old Testament is actually, I think more progressive in its treatment of slavery, especially in relationship to its its context, than the New Testament is, uh, where the Old Testament is is dealing with, you know, uh, indefinite or, or definite periods of of debt slavery predominantly, uh, whereas the New Testament is kind of allowing for you know shadow sl- slavery, like you know like indefinite, you know, just saying you know kind of live within those means. Uh, and, and, and Paul, I think, has some room to grow in that regard. Uh, uh, maybe if he hadn't have thrown out the Old Testament, he could have learned from it. Um... <laughs> Joe flexing on Paul. <laughs> what? You know Paul, like, murdered people, right? <laughs> this isn't the guy you mess with. 
Uh, he's in heaven now. He's he's fine. <laughs> he can't reach me. Um, but anyway, oh, uh, Chris, to go back to your point, I think um, maybe something to kind of keep in mind is is uh, how does the direction of the text uh, inspire our direction in our, our current context. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, um, I like that wording. That's good. How does the direction of the text shape our direction in living it out? Uh, yeah, I think that's that's some good stuff right there. I think that's the better question right there. You nailed it. I think all the better questions you guys presented were great. So do we need the Old Testament? Uh, I would say categorically without question and hesitation no no I'm just kidding yes <laughs> it took us an hour and a half to get to like no clickbaiting yeah, uh, yeah. no yes yes the, the real question is do we need the New Testament join us next week <laughs> so we usually end our episodes asking um, our guests to plug some of their work I don't know how much Joe, where can they read your dissertation yeah, that does or doesn't apply to you in this season of your life. But if nothing else, maybe you could at least plug a few resources you think would be really helpful to people that want to start digging into more of what we can glean from the old Testament. I think, um, like you said, I don't have a ton in, uh, in print that's, uh, easily accessible right now, but hopefully that will be changing uh, in the near future, I'll keep you all posted. Uh, but other than that, I would say um, the uh, my dissertation mentor is John Goldengay, and he's written uh, a ton on the Old Testament in general, but he's also written uh, several, I think, accessible volumes um, that can uh, help people engage with the Old Testament, especially if they're unfamiliar with it. Um, the, uh, I just hold, held this up a second ago. It's, it's provocative, but I think that, you know, uh, do we need the New Testament, letting the Old Testament speak for itself? Um, the first line of the book is, yes, we need the New Testament. But uh, in asking that question, he's trying to, I think, uh, help people see that the Old Testament has, has its own, uh, own value, that, um, that it's not just a one-way street. He's also written a series called The Old Testament for Everyone, uh, which is a, a very accessible commentary series uh, in which he has written a volume for every book of the Old Testament. Uh, and that would be a great resource if there is a specific book in particular that somebody is reading through that they're maybe having trouble with. Uh, that would be a very accessible uh, volume to maybe help kind of read alongside that to provide some additional insight uh, and also some illustration for how that can be then applied to today. Um, I could go on and on, but but uh, but yeah, I think let, let me start with that. Well, this was a great conversation. It was very much reminded me of the times that I would come into your office uh, back in the day and not do any work for Chris. It has been a pleasure and an honor for you all to uh, invite me onto this program. And I hope that it's been helpful not only for you, but your free listeners. And I'll be happy to come on anytime. Thank you. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thanks so much, Jim. Yeah. All right. See you guys. See ya. See ya.
Well, the sound of that music is just telling you that you've listened to another episode of the Better Questions podcast. Uh, I just want to thank once again our friend Joe Miller for sitting down and talking with us, though apparently uh, some of us aren't friends with him. Uh, so we're going to have to hash that out here soon. But still, it was a great conversation, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it. So if you like this conversation, find us on Facebook, find us on YouTube, subscribe, like, share the videos if you're enjoying the conversation. And as always, we'll see you next week.